you want to turn to Joel, we're going to read through it, uh, chapter 1, and then I'm going to uh, just see if we can do a few word studies and do a little bit of discussion on some of the subjects that are there, a little introduction on it, and so forth. So if you want to follow along, let's uh, read through Joel, chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, and the swarming locust has eaten, what the swarming locust has left, the crawling locust has eaten, and what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten, awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it's been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for her husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister in the Lord, to the Lord. The field is wasted, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers, wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, and because the harvest of the field has perished, the vine is dried up, the fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree, all the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered from away, away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come and lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. So can't concentrate a fast. I'm sorry, yeah, consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty, is not the food is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods, Storehouse, storehouses are in shambles, barns are broken down. For the grain has withered, how the mighty or how the animals groan, the herds of the cattle are restless, because they have no pasture, even the flocks of the sheep suffer punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out, for fire has devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the open pastures. Wow, heavy stuff. Um, so Joel, the word Joe is Joel, or Yahweh is God, or Jehovah is God. He's the son of Pethuel. Uh, Pethuel is uh, the vision of God. You'll notice, and if you don't know this already, uh, we've talked about it in the past, is whenever the word El uh, is there, it's the word for God or the Lord. And so Joel and Pethuel, he's one of a few Joels, uh, one of the earlier of the prophets. Uh, so this, you know, trying to tie him together and, and find a timeline when this was written or when Joel was on the scene 
is difficult because there's every other Joel that's mentioned, there's a few or maybe almost a half a dozen that uh, have different fathers, different names, different uh, scenarios. So this Joel stands alone in here. Uh, this is the book he wrote. He's mentioned one other time in the book of Acts by Peter. We'll be getting into that when we get into it next week and in, in, uh, in the week after where Peter uh, quotes Joel. Um, and uh, there's no talk of any kings or any war that's going on or any um, the surrounding armies like Assyria or Babylon aren't really spoken of. Uh, there's no mention of the northern kingdom of Israel. There's mention of Judah and Jerusalem. And so it seems uh, for sure it would be after David, probably after Solomon, uh, because since Jerusalem is talked about in the book and also the house of God with the temple and its porches mentioned. Um, and so uh, we, we can kind of trying to place a time just for your your uh, benefit to see if there is a way to do that. And really, it's pretty much after Solomon and, and a little beyond, possibly in the king of Uzziah. Um, so uh, there's no talk of any contemporaries like uh, talk of sin. Uh, all the other prophets will itemize. You know, they'll go through the things that Israel was getting themselves uh, messed up in. And, and so this one, he just uh, talks about the judgment that's coming and no specifics on that. Now, the key phrase in the book of Joel is the day of the Lord. It's mentioned five times, and um, the entire context of it has to do with that day. Uh, he takes off on, on a, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, the Bible talks about the day of the Lord throughout uh, many of the other prophets. Uh, Isaiah, the Lord himself, uh, talks about the, the day of the Lord Jesus does. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation, Matthew 24 and 25, and there's others. And if you read through the whole book, and if you'd like to before next Wednesday, please do. Um, and you'll see there's kind of a turning point. You get about halfway through to Joel chapter 2, verse uh, 17. One through, uh, chapter 1, 1 through 2, 17 talks about the desolation and the destruction that's coming on Israel. And that's on Israel. Uh, but Joel 28 begins with the promise of deliverance, and it's a whole. It just takes a turn, and you can uh, you'll see that as you read through it. And uh, you know the promise of deliverance of a land that he calls his own, and where he dwells. So the book of Joel is about the day of the Lord, and in Joel the day of the Lord has um, a bunch of things that it's about. First of all, it's about Israel, um, the Lord uh, of Israel. In the last days, or I should say the land of Israel in the last days, Zion, Judah, Jerusalem. So we're talking about Israel and the land and the people there. A nation and a people that do monstrous things that God brings against the land, it specifically says monstrous things, uh, then brings them, as the book develops and as the day of the Lord develops, he brings them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And comes against his people. And this is what we're familiar with throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, and, and in Revelation, uh, is the Valley of Armageddon, the valley uh, near the city of Megiddo. Um, so this is a book about God's house and the priests and the ministers in his house and what they're able to do and what they're called to do. It's a book, uh, Joel has the subject of repentance, and it's, um, we'll expound on that uh, considerably next week. Sanctification, being set apart, setting Israel apart again. God's zeal for his land and the return of his people. And they that know God is in their midst. Uh, or I should say, and that they would know that God is in their midst. That's the reason um, 
for this altogether and that eventually all the nations will know that he is the Lord and he's in the midst of Israel and he dwells in Jerusalem and or in dwells in Zion and Jerusalem will be holy. Now again uh, quoted in in Acts would be uh, where Peter says his spirit is being poured out on all flesh and we'll get into that when we get to that part too. That's a big part of the day of the Lord leading up to it and prior to it is um, his spirit being poured out on all flesh is in this a prophecy in the book of Joel and then ultimately salvation that they would be saved and that uh, all flesh would know that the God of Israel is um, dwells in Zion and in Jerusalem. All of this is a culmination of human history to the point that they know one thing and that he is the Lord, their God, that Israel would know this one thing. And so um, we'll start out, it talks about, uh, you know, hear this in, in uh, verse 2 and 3. You know, hear elders and all inhabitants. And so his first cry out is, are you listening? It's a question for all of us. Are we listening to uh, this, you know, calling of the Lord to, to get their attention? And um, he goes on to say, tell the children, tell the grandchildren. And for us, it's encouragement. Throughout this, you'll be seeing, and all of the things we're talked about, all the subjects really are an example for us. They're a way for us to, um, you know, be encouraged to do what we're supposed to do. There, it's a, it's a way for us to learn how to be in repentance and true repentance, and um, to walk in it. But here it says, here elders and all inhabitants, and it's an encouragement for, for, you know, fathers and grandfathers. You know, we have a lot of influence in a family uh, to be able to talk to our kids and our grandkids and to show them uh, by example more than anything. The Bible uh, is, a, is something to be taught for sure, but grandkids and kids are going to be catching it. It's more able to be caught than taught as your example is there for them. And, um, but also to teach and instruct. The Bible says raise up, uh, you know, uh, dads should train up their children in the Lord, in the ways of the Lord. When they're older, they won't depart from it. And so it really is a, and then also I should say the, the older women are instructed in the New Testament to, you know, the older widows and all to, to take the younger widows or the younger uh, ladies under wing and to instruct them. So it's a opportunity where he says, you know, hear you elders Give ear all you inhabitants of the land. And he goes on to say, has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? And what he's talking about here um, is this uh, plague of locusts. Um, you know, locusts as a picture of the nations and the people that God's going to bring into the land of Israel on that day, in that day of the, the Lord. Um, it talks about in verse 4, what the chewing locust has left and the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust has left, the consuming locust has eaten. And these are basically, you know, you can look up the different kinds of locusts and what they do. And and there's stories, you go on the internet and you'll see swarms. You can look up just locust plague. And they have videos even today of these unbelievable clouds of covering the land, darkening the sun. And it really is uh, something that you can imagine. What happened 
it this a plague had happened like this prior to the the book of Joel, and so he's got their attention when he says, "Okay, this is what you saw." But now let's look at what the Lord's going to do on his great day because there's going to be an army that comes up that uh, is going to be walking in, mar- in lock and step and marching forward and doing and consuming like the, these locusts were doing also. Um, so the first point is, are you listening? And, and it's an you know, a, a exhortation for all of us to, to make sure that we're listening. Um, you know, it's a picture of God bringing nations in, and also in Amos, uh, plagues were sent by the Lord and to encourage repentance. You know, are we listening? Are we going to repent? And so he moves on into verse 5 and says, Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine. So the next thing is, are you awake? Or, you know, wake up. And I guess it's never a... Um, I guess never a bad time really to bring up the the things that alcohol can lead to and so forth. I just did a simple study uh, looking through the scriptures of all the things the Bible says, not me, not you know any program, not any doctors. Um, there's plenty of that. You can look that up and you'll, if they're you know, willing to tell you the truth, the damage that can be done physically and then obviously afterwards. But what it refers to here in context is that they're all just ignoring the Lord. They're just not worried about anything that's going on. They, they're basically in a stupor as a nation, not necessarily all of them being physically drunk. But it's interesting to see, um, you know, it's cut off right at their mouth, and it's, it's like being slapped away. If You know, somebody's having a drink and they just get slapped out of their face. If you know what that kind of face looks like, then you know what I'm talking about too short-sighted to care where the next drink is coming from. And so I did this uh, just to study through, through the Bible of, of what the Bible says about wine and strong drink. It's a very interesting little thing. If you want to jot down the verses, you can look them up yourself. If you want to make sure you get the context on them, this is just a subject of wine and strong drink. The context of many of these is different uh, about uh, what's going on there. But Leviticus 10, verses 9 and 10, it makes you unable to distinguish between what is holy and what is unholy. Proverbs 20, verse 1, makes you a mockery and a raging fool. Proverbs 23, verse 21, it makes you poor sooner or later. Um, Proverbs 31, 4 and 5, it makes you forget God's word and perverts your decision-making. The Bible says these things. I, I'm just quoting word for word. And um, this is not word for word, but it's, you'll get the idea when you read it. Isaiah 5, 11 through 13. It makes music sound great. It does. <laughs> but it makes you disregard the work of the Lord and fail to consider the work of his hands. Um, alcohol. Makes you excuse or justify the wicked so you can gain from them. You know. And, and what you do then is cast away God's law and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel, the word of God. Isaiah five twenty three through 24. Isaiah 28, 7, it takes you out of your way. You basically get set aside or put on a shelf. It swallows you up, makes you err in vision and stumble in judgment. And to bring up 
you know, point home, let's go over to Luke 21, and we're going to also do Romans 13 and uh, 1 Corinthians 6, if you want to flip there. Luke 21 down to, to verse 34. It weighs down your heart, and we're talking about the day of the Lord, and that's exactly what happens here. In verse 34, it says Jesus was talking to them about the parable of the fig tree. It's interesting because that has to do with our study as well in Joel and also the land of Israel. Um, but it says, Take heed to yourself, uh, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness, and the cares of this life and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth and on the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape the things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You know, it, uh, you know you're gonna, your hearts are going to get weighed down with, if you're you know, in carousing and drunkenness. And then over to um, Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. And again, talking about the days that we're in, the last days, seeing that the day of the Lord is nigh. Um, Same kind of context here. And do this, knowing that the time, the time is now high time, to awake, same kind of word as Joel, awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer uh, nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And then uh, on to 1 Corinthians 6 and reading through 9 through 12. So it says, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers or revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So I'm not going to stand up here and say I've never been down that road. And I hope none of you can stand up here and say, gee, it's not for me because I've always been perfect. Then I think you have a bigger problem. But the truth of it is, all of us were there. Some of us were any one of these things. Um... All of us were probably any one of these things. Some of us were some of them specifically. But uh, such were some of us. But we were washed. We're talking about those of us that believe, those of us that have been saved, those of us that trust the Lord. Uh, We've been washed. Um, We've been sanctified, which means to be set apart. And uh, we're justified. In other words, these things are completely eliminated. Um, So basically, that list was... um, just as we're going through and we're talking about drunkenness, again, it, it brings up this idea. So, you know, it says at the end of uh, this, all things are lawful. You know, don't become a slave. Don't be brought 
under its power is basically what he's saying. And so what if I just have a little? You know, everybody can, what about just a little bit? Well, how much is a little? You know, it sounds like a math problem, really. Is, is it one can or is it a can and a half? What is it that you can do? You know, how much do you weigh? What's your caloric intake so that you can determine just what's that point at which you can cross over and uh, make that, you know, mistake where this comes into that error? I would make it a math problem. I kind of would say that uh, Ephesians 5.18 is a real good place to look for the sort of thing that uh, can shed some light on this Um, because it's often the argument that, well, there's always just maybe a little or something like that. And I think that's possible. You know, I think that, uh, you know, there are those that would say that, you know, at home alone with their wives, they might have a glass of wine or with their meal or something like that. I would say that it's easy enough to say when you are, well, let's read it for for, um, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 18. It says, do not be drunk with wine in in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. So, um, but the, the math problem is this. To the degree that you're under the influence of alcohol, it says right here, you are no longer under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So what would you rather be under the influence of and what do you need in our Christian walk to be under the influence of? And so whether it's, uh, you know, you can justify having a little, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord and, and uh, that's not anything I would go after, you know, trying to chase that down and point the finger or anything else like that. But you're going to have to know to the, to the point where you now become under the influence of any psychotropic drug or alcohol, you are no longer under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I think that's as plain as the scripture there. And so, um, once again, it's interesting to notice the context of this is be awake, just like Joel, right? Wake up. So let's go back to Joel and um, move on to uh, verses 6 and 7. We'll kind of read through these and comment on them a little bit, but it's running down the line. These guys are, you know, they're drunkards. They're waking up. They're in a stupor as a as a country in the land, and and they kind of think that the vines are theirs, the the land is theirs, and you know they're you know they're always figuring the supply will never run out, you know, so they're they're doing fine. But here the Lord says in verse six and seven, He says, "For the nation has come up against my land, my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion. He has the fangs of a fierce lion." Now, first of all, we're moving on from locusts here, obviously, right? This is not a a plague of locusts we're talking about. We're talking about something future. We're talking about something that's um, significant and would be uh, noticed by all as something different than just the locust. Um, And he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine. He has ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Um, so again, the Lord, this is his land. This is his vine. This is his fig tree. It's not theirs. And when it gets cut off, it's going to get their attention. So verses 8 through 12, lament like a virgin uh, girded with sackcloth. And the context is at her wedding for the husband of her youth. In other words, lament. That, you know, have a sorrowful, uh, you know, picture that. The, 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 
the most important day of a, a young girl's life is her wedding and she's lamenting because all she can find or all that there is is, is a sackcloth to be at her wedding and all eyes on her and uh, that's the the lament that they're to have so that's one of his instructions when he's looking at this um, you know lament the grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. So even to the extent that there's not even anything for the, the priests, the Levites, there's a uh, um, a lack of food throughout the land. Uh, everything's being cut off. The field is wasted in verse 10. Um, the priests mourn who minister to the Lord. And in verse 9, the field is wasted, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, and the new wine is dried up, and the oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers, wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, and because the harvest of the field has perished, the vine has dried up, the fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, and the trees of the, all the trees of the field are withered. And then it says, surely the joy has withered away from the sons of man. This is a desperate, bleak, horrible uh thing that or time that that's coming that lord's prophesying that's coming that's coming when he judges the land of israel by bringing in this incredible uh monstrous uh army that that he talks about a nation that's come up against his land and all and he goes on to say mourning for the land gird yourselves and lament you priests wail you who minister before the altar Come and lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. So again, even the the house of the Lord is without the ability to, to keep up sacrifice, to keep up and maintain. And so he's talking to them, and, and it's in the midst, right where the people would be, right where they can see this, so that the people can realize that it's, it's to be a lament. You know, consecrate a fast, in verse 14, call a sacred assembly, Gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God. You know, food is cut off, joy is gone. Even the, you know, the animals cry out. Um, there, there's a, let's look at Psalm 130. Uh, looking for a, a, a way to have an example of really a, a lament that we should have over our sin and um, you know something that uh, well it's just something that's a cry of our heart out of the depths I have cried to you O Lord Lord hear my voice let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication if you Lord should mark iniquities O Lord who could stand but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And that's the kind of prayer, that's the kind of lament, and that's the kind of crying out to the Lord, talking about verses... uh, Back in Joel, verses 13 and 14, you know, uh, gird yourselves and lament, you who priests wail, who minister before the altar. And then it says in verse 15, alas, for the day 
the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off from before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of God? The seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. How the animals groan, the herds of cattle are restless, because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. And again, O Lord, to you I cry out. For fire has devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the open. Chapter 2 will be talking about the day of the Lord and blowing the trumpet, but the question kind of arises, does God bring this kind of calamity, this kind of evil on the land? Um, we have to know, and, and what has to be in place in all our hearts and minds with this is who's in control of all this? Why would God do such a thing? And uh, why is that day yet coming future when he's going to do that? Um, some say God can't exist, you know, when calamity happens. You know, if, you know, how could he when, you know, not stop the tragedy, not stop the disasters, and not stop the calamities, not stop the war? And, um, you know, some would say God allows these things as spiritual warfare. Some would say it's because of our sin, you know, and some would say that these things come on, on us and on the, on the world. Some say he's just fulfilling his purposes. Um, in Joel, God uses this catastrophe to wake the people up. We, we can think about this type of a absolute devastation of a land, you know, somewhere else in the world where locusts fly around and devour, you know, half of countries in Africa still to this day. You'll see that. You can look that up. Right now there's fires burning in California and they're taking a lot of, a lot of people are being evacuated. The whole northern part, how many millions of people are without power right now? I mean, how long could we go without power? I mean, generators run out of gas. Gas pumps can't pump gas. Um, it's just, I can't imagine if you know anybody who's there and you've been praying for them. Um, what about 9-11? September 11th, you know, 2001, churches the following Sunday and the weeks afterward packed because this is what the awake is. This is the wake up. And that's what it's intended to do. Uh, calamity comes in the way of uh, flooding. We've had Houston, we've had New Orleans, uh, we've had a hurricane take out the, um, uh, the Caribbean there. Um, uh, what's the name of that island? I can't remember. So the, the calamities that come and people want to say, you know, what causes this? Did God allow this? What's the reason for this? Why do I have to go through this? Um, let's go to Isaiah 45 and because it's, it's important for us to know. This is what the Bible says. Whether we understand it, whether we can get it around it with our hearts and minds. As Isaiah 45 and, and verses um, 5 and 7. It says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they might know from the rising of the sun to the setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. 
Now in verse 7, uh, some of the King James would say, I form the light and I create evil. And uh, again, it's better, I guess I would say, in the King, New King James here because it says calamity because the Lord does not create the evil of wickedness, wicked men, uh, the enemy uh, of our soul and his wickedness. The Lord doesn't create that evil, that wickedness that comes out of that. But he does... Um, and has created all things. And he has, you know, he was on the sea when the storms was raising and he was walking on the water. And these guys were, were in a panic. He gets, and he gets up out of the boat after he was in the boat and sleeping down in the hull of the boat and gets up and calms the waves. And these guys go, what is this? Who is this? You know, how is this? You know, and they were afraid. There was great fear. He has power over the sea. He, can, he had power over all things that happened in Houston. And in New Orleans, these are everything that that takes place in the world takes place, you know, passing through his hands. And again, he doesn't create the evil that people do to each other. He doesn't create that. That's not, you know, anything that you would, you would uh, blame God for. Isaiah forty six nine eleven, same page. Just turn over the page. Um, says, "Remember the former things of old, for I am God." And there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning in the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will do my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purpose in it. I will also do it. Um, it's hard for me to get that around my brain, or like I like to say, it smashes the pea in my brain because it's a pea brain, and it's it's something that we have to just worship. We have to acknowledge that the Lord is God. We have to acknowledge that He has His hand, and as we sung earlier, and also as we read earlier, in uh, you know His mercies are new every morning, His forgiveness, His loving kindness for us, His salvation for us. And now all that is left to do is cry out. In verses 19 and 20, uh, Joel cries out. The animals cry out. Will you cry out? You know, people were crying out in New York on 9-11. Churches were packed. People are asking questions in California right now. Their houses are burning down. They're running. You know, they're, they're not getting satisfaction out of the news and the, the the mainstream media or just what the media is telling them? How does that satisfy? How does that bring them peace? It brings nothing but trouble, you know, the, not knowing what to believe. Um, but when they cry out to the Lord, he hears them. And he has promised that he would save and he would put their, you know, give them mercy and give them peace. I uh, I just went wanted to go through... Chapter 1 tonight, I think we're going to be done kind of early here. Um, and uh, I don't have anything to fill in the gaps here. And because we're done kind of early, I'm going to tell you, if you got kids up there in the kids' club, they're going to go till 8 o'clock. <laughs> so, but I, I encourage you, you know, there's a lot that's been talked about. And we've touched on a few things that are... are uh, possibly things that you're struggling with and wrestling with, and you certainly can come up and pray. And um, I think Paul's out there; he'd be uh, coming up here, and I'll be up here if you guys want to pray. Uh, you know, cry out to the Lord. You can do that right where you're standing in your own heart, right where you're sitting. And um, 
you can do that tonight when you get home and let the Lord work on your heart with these things. And um, next week we'll get into chapter two where it makes that turn. And just out of, just out of the, for the reason, for the sake of not leaving it as such a, such a heavy. And, you know, it says here that the Lord will be zealous for his land in chapter 218. The Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I'll send you grain and I'll send you new wine and you'll be satisfied by them and no longer make you a reproach among the nations. I'll remove from you that northern army, you know. I don't want to read it all and go into the whole thing, but, you know, he will bring his grace and his mercy and his restoration to us. So uh, if you want, you can stretch your legs or we can uh, pray and we'll go on our way. And like I said, don't, don't uh, go back by the kids' club till 8 o'clock. Have some fellowship. Lord, we thank you for uh, this passage in Joel and just ask that you would use a simple reading of it um, because it is your word. Uh, no matter um, you know how it's delivered, Lord, it's still your word. And we ask that you would be using it to convict and also comfort as you see fit and calling us to repentance and also calling us to believing and trusting in you with our whole heart with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and with all of our strength, Lord, to seek you and not be, be cavalier, not be um, slumbering, that we need to be woke up. And, Father, that we just come you know, wholeheartedly with, with all of our hearts to you. So, Lord, go before us tonight, and I pray you go with us as we fellowship a little bit. And, again, always be with the kids in the back, and we lift up the rest of this night and the rest of this week to you. In Jesus' name. My counsel shall stand, I will do my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purpose in it. I will also do it. Um, it's hard for me to get that around my brain, or like I like to say, it smashes the pea in my brain, because it's a pea brain. And it's, it's something that we have to just worship we have to acknowledge that the lord is god we have to acknowledge that he has his hand and as we sung earlier and also as we read earlier in uh you know his mercies are new every morning his forgiveness his loving kindness for us his salvation for us and now all that is left to do is cry out in verses 19 and 20 uh, joel cries out the animals cry out will you cry out you know, people were crying out in New York on 9-11. Churches were packed. People are asking questions in California right now. Their houses are burning down. They're running. You know, they're, they're not getting satisfaction out of the news. and the, the, the mainstream media or just what the media is telling them. How does that satisfy? How does that bring them peace? It brings nothing but trouble, you know, not knowing what to believe. Um, but when they cry out to the Lord, he hears them. And he has promised that he would save and he would put their, you know, give them mercy and give them peace. I, uh, I just went, wanted to go through chapter one tonight. I think we're going to be done kind of early here. Um, and uh, I don't have anything to fill in the gaps here. And because we're done kind of early, I'm going to tell you, if you got kids up there in the kids club, they're going to go till eight o'clock. <laughs> so... But I, I encourage you, 
you know, there's a lot that's been talked about, and we've touched on a few things that are are uh, possibly things that you're struggling with and wrestling with, and you certainly can come up and pray. And um, I think Paul's out there; he'd be uh, coming up here, and I'll be up here if you guys want to pray. Uh, you know, cry out to the Lord. You can do that right where you're standing in your own heart, right where you're sitting. And um, you can do that tonight when you get home and let the Lord work on your heart with these things. And um, next week we'll get into chapter 2 where it makes that turn. And just out of, just out of the, for the reason, for the sake of not leaving it as such a, such a heavy. And, you know, it says here that the Lord will be zealous for his land in chapter 218. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I'll send you grain, and I'll send you new wine, and you'll be satisfied by them, and no longer make you a reproach among the nations. I'll remove from you that northern army. You know, I don't want to read it all and go into the whole thing, but you know, he will bring his grace and his mercy and his restoration to us. So uh, if you want, you can stretch your legs or we can uh, pray and We'll go on our way, and like I said, don't don't uh, go back by the kids' club till eight o'clock. Have some fellowship, Lord. We thank you for uh, this passage in Joel, and just ask that you would use a simple reading of it, um, because it is your word. Uh, no matter um, you know how it's delivered, Lord, it's still your word, and we ask that you would be using it to convict and also comfort as you see fit and calling us to repentance, and also calling us to believing and trusting in you with our whole heart, with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and with all of our strength, Lord, to seek you, and not be be cavalier, not be um, slumbering, that we need to be woke up, and Father, that we just come, you know, wholeheartedly with, with all of our hearts to you. So, Lord, go before us tonight, and I pray you go with us as we fellowship a little bit. And, again, always be with the kids in the back, and we lift up the rest of this night and the rest of this week to you. In Jesus' name.